Hi, I'm Bjorn Roberts. I'm Jess Fishlock. This is Owen Singer-Jones. I'm Owen Vaughan Williams. This is Tash Harden. And you are listening to the Holy Delivery Podcast. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another Coleman Had a Dream podcast. I am here with Ruth. Hello, Ruth. How are you? Hiya. Good morning. Doing all right. How are you doing? I'm not bad, thank you. Not bad. The sun is shining. It's been half term. I haven't done anything all week. It is, well, apart from play golf, which is, well, I'm not very good at that, but I've enjoyed it, uh, even if the golf course is in slightly worse condition than it was when I started. Um, we are going to talk to you today um, about your questions. We often have loads of great questions in the build-up to our podcast. We can't always answer them. So we decided to uh, answer a chunk of them today. Uh, So thank you very much to all of you who have sent in a question. Uh, Ruth, I think I've decided that we're going to start with one of the most interesting ones we've had, which is from Alex Thomas. He asked, is it likely at some point, far away I hope, Wales have another spell without success? How do we keep the fans, he references like him, who came on board once we were good? He's in for life now, but he would like everyone to stick to it. I think that's a really, really interesting question. I I mean, I don't think there's any surefire single answer to to something like that. And I, I think it's a very human nature as well that people will come on board when there's good things happening and the team's successful and you know, the, the players are engaging, there's a real connection between the fans and what's happening on the field. And it's understandable that people get drawn in by that, who aren't necessarily primarily followers of the, of the football or, or interest, interested in, in following Cymru. So I don't think it's, um, I don't think it's a problem per se, if there's a, a portion of the fan base that fall into that category um i think that's a very human thing i think what's interesting is people like alex who've come on board from that kind of background but then have enjoyed it so much and now feel so part so much part of something that they want to carry on and they want to be involved and actually the football is kind of not secondary but perhaps (laughs) at least not uh, perhaps at least not primary to their reason for for being part of the red wall and I think those of us that have been around long enough to see multiple bad times as as well as a few good times um, it's just important that all of the kind of ancillary stuff that makes up being part of the red wall and Cymru and the whole the whole movement and the whole kind of persona of being part of this that has to be as active, if not anything more active, when what's actually happening on the field is not so healthy. Yeah, I agree. I think it's a really interesting question, actually. I mean, when I kind of got some of these through, I was like, bloody hell, that's a big one to start that, isn't it? Um, I, mean, I think the reality of it is, as well, I think that's worth acknowledging, is that it is going to happen. You know, a country the size of ours, we are not going to continually produce these players and have this depth, and someone is going to make a bad decision about the manager or the youth setup or whatever. That is going to happen. I mean, I think I mentioned this last time in a, in a different context, but the Greece example is something that kind of scares me a little bit, where they obviously won the Euros in 2004 and kind of, you know, were, went to tournaments for a couple of years and have kind of really. I don't want to say plummeted, that's a bit harsh, but have really kind of dipped. I used to often think to myself, like to make myself feel better, 
when uh, you know when I started going that these kind of things used to come in cycles like 8 10 12 years type thing where we would get really really close USA 94 and then we kind of fell off a cliff a little bit and then we almost got to Euro 2004 and then we fell off a cliff a little bit and I think again that obviously we got there in 2016 so I do think that kind of that logic is is true and I equally I do think we're kind of getting close to the end of an era or starting a new one now we may even have started a new one now just even just looking at the turnover in players I think in terms of what is going to keep people involved I think the FAW have actually already or are already doing a very good job of it I think the things that keep people involved are the player engagement the the stupid videos that the players do the you know the the things that you know we we as the fans see through FAW's uh, Twitter pages and Facebook and all that sort of stuff I think that helps I think one of the big things though is the fan base like you mentioned like the, the fan base is fickle and I, you know I think that's true of any any sports team especially a team like ours who've got relatively newfound success really um, like I remember when we went to what's Azerbaijan in 2003 you couldn't get a ticket we won 4-0 and you you know it was a battle to get a ticket for that day 72,000 people or however many sold the place out by 2008 you know, five years later, we played the seven, same team and there were 17,000. I think there was something like 4,000 people went to a friendly against Estonia at Parker Scarlet's. Like, the dip is huge. And I think that's the nature of Welsh football because we are, we, you know, we have, you know, climbed the heights and have also very recently, well, fairly recently hit the lows as well. So I think one of the biggest things for me is I think they've kind of got to tap in a little bit to what they've done with the women. The women haven't been successful. And I mean that you know, in the nicest possible way. They haven't qualified, but they've kind of kept this narrative of hope and, you know, we're so close and like I think they've done that really well from a media side and I think the players should take enormous credit for that as well. And I think if they can hook into that sort of thing when the bad times do come back around, then I think that will keep a lot of people on board. You know, if you look, the women haven't qualified, but the the numbers of people who've been going to games or whatever has, has grown. So I, I think that sort of thing is something that's important they crack into. I think the the grassroots encouragement is key. If you've got a healthy system from, you know, four and five-year-olds all the way up and people see football as something that's accessible and enjoyable, whether it's playing or, or you know, participating or being a, a, a watcher, um, I think that's good. I think healthy football as a whole is important to this and not necessarily just a healthy national men's team or national women's team uh, i think the development of the youth age groups i think you know things things around the publicity around the victory shield for example so that you know an eight nine ten year old kid can see that it's not that far off yeah. and he might he or she might be able to get involved with whales you know i think there's there's a kids need to be dreaming about this sort of thing to borrow a line from Coleman and <laughs> I think the more the more good messages are shared the more likely you are to to hook in people yeah I agree and I think you mentioned the age groups there that's something I'd written down as well actually that they they have actually started to do more with the under 21s haven't they they've started to put the games on YouTube where they can they've got a commentary team there I think getting them involved in the first team environment to an extent helps because they become more visible you know the the tournaments that they're being involved in are being publicized the same like the under 19s i think it was um got 
to a reasonable stage of a tournament and they were publishing results and you know everything became more visible and as you say i think that's really really important yeah i mean i'd also like to see as perhaps looking a bit more at hosting some of these underage group tournaments i realize we can't um we can't necessarily go for the you know the big gun tournaments, but some of these underage ones. Even if we have a you know a pan a pan um, Irish Sea tournament with some of the games in Ireland and some yeah. with us or something like that, you know, I think I think there's some creativity that we could do around these age group hosting as well. Yeah, I think that's true, and I think to, to be fair, you know, um, we'll get onto the FAWs. Uh, circumstance at the moment but um later on but I, I do think it's worth pointing out i think that things have gone well you know I, I think the faw have done a good job by and large on this sort of thing so i i i i'm confident that they have got something in their minds about how they want to continue to progress uh, in that sense yeah don't don't disagree there's there's other things to discuss about the faw but i think this kind of engagement side of things they've actually been hitting very well yeah I, I i totally agree i totally agree um to look more at the playing side unless there's anything else you wanted to add there um was we've had an, uh, a message from adam goffin thank you adam who i haven't done as a newcastle fan as well so um unlucky um do we see jeff cott as a future wales center forward and what is the best way to accommodate him I think, I mean, as we discussed last week when we were looking at uh, the sort of Young Guns podcast that we did last week, I think it, at the minute it's probably between Jeb Cotton and Liam Cullen as a, a, a future striker. It doesn't mean there's not more people, more people in the wings. Uh, but right at the minute, I think that's, that's where you'd be looking. Uh, their their playing style is an, is an interesting contrast, and I think they've got the potential to to work um, not as a partnership, but as a as a one in one out kind of arrangement when you yeah. when you need when you need it and you need you need different playing style. Um, I don't think at the min. I, I'm not sure I agree with the idea of accommodating. Um, I I think that's that. To me, I think you have a playing style that you want to be your pattern, and then you look at can do we have the players to facilitate that? And there are points where you may have to compromise, but I think the kind of big picture ethos is important. And then it's okay. Do, does this actually match with what what we have on the ground? Um, and I, so I don't think accommodating is quite how I would how I would put it. I think his playing style isn't that different from Kiefer Moore's in in the broad sense. I think there are similarities to how they play. So I mean, I think that's why we were both advocating perhaps using him in the Mexico game um, to see to see how he fits that current scenario. To be honest. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting one, really, isn't it? Because, I mean, you look at Kiefer Moore and how he kind of got his shot. His was, a, as you mentioned last week, like a, he was a victim in a good way of circumstance. It was, a, it, was a, it was a result of something that we needed that that happened. And now we've needed him and we've got him. I feel like someone like Jeff Cott 
who is very similar in a lot of ways is now almost then unlucky in that sense is that we don't need that sort of kind of big man if you like anymore and I do think Jeff's got Jeff Cott's game is is very different to that I think well maybe not very different but I think there are differences I think he is more mm-hmm. of an out and out goal scorer he can do the hold up stuff but I don't think that's his game mm-hmm. um for me a lot of it depends on style of play as you said and I think in the time for the time being, I think he will be a squad man in the future. You know, a sort of Vokes type player. I think in the short term. I, I think ultimately the biggest thing for him is, and I'm not deriding League One, but I think a lot of it is he has scored a lot of a lot of goals this year, but in League One. And I think that was Doidge's undoing, is that Giggs or Page or the gang or whoever didn't see that level being a good enough level to then get him involved internationally because he did it for a short spell in a league that some would say is not the most competitive it's not worth a gamble of getting him in and you could make the argument that there was probably the right decision looking at the way that Deutsch is, is playing now um, as a consequence I think if Jeff Cott is going to become a future Wales centre forward and you mentioned Cullen there and I would say the same about him they both would need to be playing at a higher standard than they are now and still producing the numbers they are. Maybe not Cullen, because he's obviously not had, had his chance yet, but Jeff Cott for, for sure needs to be playing at least championship football, and maybe not, I'm not saying he needs to produce the numbers he's producing now, but he needs to produce similar, I think, if he is going to get a regular opportunity to, to be involved for Wales, and, and maybe not oust more, but certainly kind of create competition for him. Yeah, I mean, at the minute, he's not putting pressure on more for his place, is he? He's He's putting his hand up to be counted as kind of first reserve for that place. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I don't think that is going to change, as you say, until until their respective goal-scoring um, uh, data puts them more on a par with each other. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, in terms of potential, I, th- I think Jeff Cott, for me, has got massive potential. I think he's someone I'm very, very excited about. I think... He is the kind of player that we have lacked, I think, in a way, in our kind of most successful spell in that we haven't had really a centre-forward. We still haven't got, I would argue, a centre-forward who well, is kind of hanging around and get on the end of everything. I think Jeff Cott is that out-and-out striker. He's not the target man sort of thing, although he can do it like more. I think he's a bit more of just a goal scorer. And I've watched him a couple of times this year. I've watched him play for the under-21s he has got a knack of being in the right place at the right time. And if he can transfer that to a higher level, I think he can become a talisman for us in the future. I I really, really do. And I think he's, you know, he's still a young guy as well. He's got lots of time to grow and improve. And um, yeah, I've got a lot of, I've got a a lot of hopes pinned on him. Yeah. And I think we have to be careful. We're not pressurizing some of these lads. Yeah. Younger lads unduly as well. I mean, he's, he we don't need him right now, as, you, as you've pointed out. So we have to be careful that we don't inadvertently turn that into a pressure that doesn't actually exist at the minute. I agree. And, and, and to add to that, you know, a slightly wider point, I guess. But as you say, we don't need him. And if we're going to play this system of the wing backs or just one up top in more and we kind of have runners off him both systems ultimately either require one up front which is going to be more and have people play off him or likely Gareth Bale as a false nine type thing and 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 
and people again get around him and help him. So I don't think that Jeffcott comes into that. And uh, and you know you can make the argument then about you know Hal Robson Khan who's not getting any game time for for West Brom. You know there is definitely an argument about who is going to come in underneath Kiefer Moore. I think that is an argument to be had. But as you say, we don't actually use strikers which is a ridiculous <laughs> sentence to say but I mean it works so I, I don't think as you say it, it's not even pressure necessarily I think mm-hmm. like you said it's just almost circumstance again common sense that we, we we don't need that right now which is you know and I think he needs to earn that position in the squad ultimately is what I'm trying to say no yeah I agree I agree um, I mentioned the word talisman there Perfect link, as always. <laughs> look at this, look at I this. I wonder who you're going on to talk about now. <laughs> I mean, I have had a question from uh, Owen Porter, who has asked, who will be Wales's talisman after Bale retires? Which I think is a great question. Um, before we get on to that, I do think we should just have a quick mention of, of Gareth Bale on the weekend. I don't know if you watched the, the Burnley game, Ruth, but uh, it was an absolute pleasure to watch and I, and I in a in a different uh, WhatsApp group with a group of Newcastle fans and kind of had a bit of a back and forth with someone this week Woody I don't know if he's listened but talking about you know I think he was saying I think Gareth Bale's finished at the top level and I said I think the problem with a lot of things that are happening at the minute and you know I think we were guilty of it a month or so ago as well is that someone doesn't play the media jump on him and everyone's like, oh, he's crap, he's finished. Well, you don't know that, do you? <laughs> We've not, we hadn't seen him play enough to make that judgment. Jesse Lingard's another one. You know, when that link that was made that he was, might be go to Newcastle, I was just like, oh, God. I don't know why. It's just the press and everyone's hammering online. I hadn't seen him play. No one's seen him play. Um, and it's really interesting, you know, I think the role that the media play in all of this. And we certainly, I, well, I don't want to put your name on it, Ruth. I certainly, you know, we had that conversation about a month ago at what point do you tolerate that he's not producing anymore um, in terms of Wales? And we both were advocating that he continues playing, but if it, and it continues starting, but if it kind of got worse, we're in trouble and he's in trouble. But it just goes to show that he is not getting worse. He is more than capable, in fact, of, of not only, I would say, playing at a good level, but playing at a top level. I mean, the... The finish yesterday, the move, the first goal, the movement was very, very clever, perfectly timed. The ball for Kane, I don't know, Kane got a <laughs> tiny bit lucky, but the, you know, he's been given a bit too much space, obviously. But that is like a pinpoint perfect pass, um, absolutely ridiculous. And of course, his, his finish for the third goal is uh, again just pinpoint, like it hits the, the the edge of the post before it goes in. I mean, he was just. It's an exciting prospect to have have him back doing what he's doing. Yeah, I mean, I think we've also got to be, in the same way, we've got to be careful that a couple of bad games doesn't turn into the end of a career. A couple of good games games doesn't turn into a sort of resurrection either. So I think think the whole thing just needs tempering a little bit here. Um, I mean, we did talk previously about the fact that you can't, on one side advocate that a player needs playing time to get them up to playing speed and then be surprised when that playing speed isn't there straight away yeah. you know you, you've got you, one one has to accept that the other is necessary um i managed to watch extended highlights of the game i didn't i didn't get to see it live because of the time difference but um i was you know there was i, I think what i was most encouraged about was 
things like in the first goal, the way he was willing to lunge at the ball. Yeah. And that's that's the kind of trepidation in his play that you've seen before, where he's he he seems so conscious of his body. And I, I think that was that was pleasing to see. I think the that run just a few minutes later um past was it was it taylor he got round yeah um on on the wing um obviously the feed for kane's goal and i'm i'm watching those things kind of in the highlights running more or less one after the other and i'm thinking oh well that, that's an okay first half and then i realized <laughs> we were actually you were actually only like 15 minutes into yeah. the into the first half you know uh, so I think all in all, obviously, it was it was a great game to see. And it was great to see him just enjoying himself. I, I, I think that was the... Yeah, that's what the caught pleasure, my attention, the, I think. The pleasure in it for me yeah, was he's got a smile on his face. And I think as long as that's happening, the rest of it, the rest of it falls into place for him. Provided he's trusting his body. And I think there was some evidence yesterday that 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 mental part of it is is in a better place for him. And when you look at it, a combination of Son, Bale, Kane and Mora, I mean, they should be scoring goals. They should be playing football. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think the, the thing you mentioned there about the mental side of it with his body is really interesting because Mourinho, after the game, said no one knows his body better than better than Gareth. And I think I need to learn that more. And I thought that was a really interesting statement for him is, you know, I don't think he trusted that Bale had that in mind. And I think now he's listened to what Bale has said and has trusted him and is being rewarded with the performances he's being rewarded with. I think that builds an added relationship to it. Um, before we move on and answer Owen's question, I, I think the other thing I wanted to add, <coughs> the other thing I wanted to add was the the happiness. He is. They've obviously got some sort of gag going at the moment with these kind of finger gesture things that they're doing when people score because Son was doing it. I saw a, a picture in the week on Instagram that him and Ben Davis were doing one together. Uh, there is some, yeah, there's it, some gag it's going meant, on. It's, it's meant, I think my understanding is it's, it's meant to be a W and an M for Welsh Mafia is what it's meant <laughs> to be. <laughs> But I could have that wrong because Ben Ben Davies just doesn't get it. <laughs> if that's the case, I mean, I, I would be amazed if that's true myself. <laughs> if that is true, that is absolutely terrific. But again, I mean, that's a perfect example of what we want, isn't it? You know, that's the thing we want to see. That's that's what we want from him is that that's what we expect from him almost is him enjoying playing football, having a laugh with his mates. I think that's what we think of when we think of Gareth Bale. Um to answer Rose's question then, who will be Wales's talisman after Bale retires? I thought that was a great question. Right now, I, I would probably be torn between Ampadu and Rodden. I think they've both got the potential to be such class. Whether they, whether they achieve it, whether they have the space to achieve it, when you look at what's happening at club level, I think that's the fear. Uh, but they are both genuinely exceptional players. Yeah, I think for me, I think you're, you're right, I agree with you. I think um, it's Ampadu for me, just because of the position he plays in. I, I think Rodden's an excellent player, but I don't. it's rare that you get a player, a defender, sorry, who can kind of drag a team, kicking and scream into a tournament like someone like Bale did. But I think if Ampadu continues to play in midfield, then I think he can do that. I think he has that 
nastiness in him in a, in, a, in a positive way. I think he has that mean streak. I think he has the ability. His passing ability is amazing. I think his ability to read the game is excellent. He just needs a bit more kind of football growing up to do, which is no criticism. Um, and I think he's 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 got that kind of ability. Um, I do think that Kem Campbell, I, I think his, he's someone who's obviously young, but I think he is someone who has that ability. Is 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 too obvious a word? I, I guess I think he's got. He seems to have that clinicalness from what I've seen about him from from a young age, to to kind mm-hmm. of to to run games and to take chances when he gets them. And I know he's not a wide player like Bale is, more of a ten. But I, I think he has that ability. And again, I think if we're talking about someone who's going to be talismanic and kind of lead us to something. I do think he has that ability. He's a big, broad guy. I think, you know, he's young. And again, I I wish we'd talked about him last week, really. But I think he's someone who has that capability. Yeah, and I think I think as well, something, somewhat depends what you mean by a talisman. I think someone like Joe Allen, although he's probably, you know, they're probably going to retire at similar kind of timelines. But I think Joe Allen can be a talisman in terms of, what it means for us as fans and what he means on the pitch without being the kind of press talisman, if that makes sense. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, We now move on to the million-dollar question of the moment. Uh, Thank you, Galois in France. Uh, James has joined us, uh, as a side note, uh, with Coleman Had a Dream and is writing some blogs for us. He's written a great blog about the FAW and their current situation so you can find that on colemanhadadream.com if you want to go and have a look at that he has asked us a very short and simple question but I'm sure it won't be a short and simple answer Um, should gigs be replaced (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'll let you go first (laughs) yeah like as as you might say it's it's not a short and simple answer yeah I think I think the FAW are in a difficult position because if if they push him out the door, they're going to be liable for an awful lot of money. Yeah. And I think with everything else that's everything else that's going on at the minute, I think we have to acknowledge that there may be somewhat pragmatic reasons that the FAW is hesitant to do that. What I do think needs to happen is to, to use an expression that they've adopted already, there needs to be a gardening leave approach here where gigs goes on some sort of in you know some sort of interim leave while the whole legal situation hopefully is resolved um, and the FAW commits to a plan that covers March and the euros so there's an, there's a a hiatus in gigs appointment, let's say through August 1st, for argument's sake, at which point it will be eva- re-evaluated depending on what's happened with the legal structure. But we come, the legal situation, but we come up with a framework to get us through the March games and to get us through through June. And I think that's got to be a person, there's got to be a key person. And I haven't got a problem with it being Paige, but there has to be a key person that takes the responsibility for that for the for the march through june games can i just jump in and ask you a question there sorry to interrupt mm-hmm. is i get what you're saying but 
what if they come up with this plan? Giggs is on gardening leave. It's a mess at the Euros. We get to the 1st of August and there's still no outcome. I, I think at that point, you'd probably put the same same pattern in place and take care of the of the autumn. I mean, I would kind of hope by that point that he might have resigned, but I've kind of been hoping that he would resign since November, so I can't see that <laughs> happening. Um, Go on, sorry. I think... I think that the instability at the moment in a whole range of things the you know we don't have a women's manager obviously that's in hand and it's being advertised and people are applying and that process is kind of running its course and there isn't an immediate urgency in that given the timeline for the for the women's competitive games but it is a hole in the in the infrastructure then you've got a men's coach, a man, the, the coach for the men's team who is effectively on administrative leave at the minute. And presumably he's still doing a lot of stuff in the background, but it's not, it's just not, that's not sustainable for the sort of length of time that we're talking about. Then, I mean, we'll come to it, but then there's the whole Jonathan Ford issue. So right at the minute, you've got all of these holes and uncertainties at the FAW and I think you you reach a point where you've got to come up with an interim plan that at least gives you some stability now and I think unfortunately we don't know what Giggs's timeline is the the legal rules seem to be changing something I found it really interesting that he'd been put on bail through May 1st when from what I was reading, bail doesn't actually come into play in once your file has gone to the CPS. So there's some there's some uncertainty there, which might just be COVID generated. In fairness, um, the the expectation on the CPS normally is in cases of these sorts, they do what they can to to make a decision as quickly as possible because of the circ- because of the nature of these particular offences and the fact that you've got potential victims and, you know, people involved in these sorts of cases. Um, and so they're usually a relatively quick priority for the CPS to sort out these sorts of cases. So I find it really interesting that that bail has been pushed out all the way to May, May 1st. I, I think that intimates that we can't expect an answer soon and so on that basis i think the onus is on the faw to try and come up with a workable situation and it might be the workable situation is page but let's come up with a workable situation and go with it i'm very rare to do this with you ruth but i disagree (laughs) 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 do you know what i I've thought about this so much and I've seen so much stuff on Twitter and Facebook and and it is such a minefield. I actually had a mate of mine who's a solicitor who told me, like, kind of messaged me and was just like, you've got to be careful what you're replying to some of these people message. And I maintain, I if you're, if you're listening, Ryan, I said nothing bad um, or specific for that matter. But the the... The spectrum of opinion on this is mental, right? You've got some people who think 
he's innocent and proven till guilty until proven guilty sorry and that's they're in, completely entitled to that opinion and technically speaking there's they're, they're not wrong mm-hmm. you've got people in the middle who can't really make their mind up and think is and hoping basically that someone else is going to make the decision and this just kind of all magically goes away and then you've got people who think that someone needs to take responsibility for this and and I would put myself in that camp and I think from what you said there you you would as well my difference is is that I think Ryan Giggs is the person who's got to take responsibility for this whether he's innocent or guilty and however this ends up coming out because he could quite feasibly quite feasibly sorry be innocent my difficulty is is this started in November it's now March we're however many weeks away from the World Cup qualifiers starting and I feel massive sympathy for anyone who has been or could be harmed in this be this whatever has happened with Giggs or whether it's Giggs himself because he's been wrongly accused of something or he's innocent or whatever I feel sympathy for whoever kind of comes out of this in a in a negative way. However, I am not here to be kind of moral arbiter for this situation. That is someone else's job. My focus, and you can call me a bastard, the thing I care about is I want Wales to do well at football. And there is no way on God's green earth that this stuff rumbling on leads us to a point where it's good for Welsh football because we are weeks away from games we're weeks away or months away from sorry from a tournament that you know every Wales fan pretty much has has waited their whole life for something like this to to be on our on our doorstep and and instead we're talking about the manager we're talking about things that aren't anything to do with football we're worrying about who's going to be in charge of the FAW with is Paige the right man for the job you know all of these other things for me and I know he won't because it's it'll probably look like an admission of guilt and you know that's that's another thing but for me he absolutely has to walk and I whether he thinks that that makes him look bad or guilty or isn't the right thing for him I think he's irrelevant I think at the moment he has to do what is right for Welsh football he has to do what's right for the fans he has to do what's right for the players who've earned this right and if he wants any sort of football management career left I think again he has to do what's right for him in that sense and that is walk away from this situation sort everything else in his private life out privately and then come back when he has a chance because he's already enhanced his reputation as a football manager but in in my view this damages his reputation as a football manager so for all of these reasons I feel like he has to walk because otherwise the net result is a mess and we're in a mess at the minute we've got the Jonathan Ford situation we'll come on to Stoivenberg is obviously there until the Euros but if Giggs isn't there is Stoivenberg there there are just so many unanswered questions and I think he should do the right thing and give someone the opportunity to wipe the slate clean even if it's even if he's done nothing wrong because it would be in the best interests of the Welsh national football team I, I don't think we actually do disagree Dave I think we, what we disagree on is how is that likely to be achieved I don't think he's going to resign 
No, I, I, don't, I don't think you will. And to be honest, the <laughs> only thing I have against your plan of August and whatever else is, there's still no end date. If something else changes, COVID gets worse again, you know, whatever, then this goes on and then it's the end of the world cup qualifiers and then and then what happens next and next and next and i feel like we, we don't want to waste a golden period in welsh football just because he basically in my view hasn't got the balls to do the right thing again i think i think it's about how do you solve the problem i i think there are three scenarios he resigns and we make a fresh appointment the faw sack him and we make a fresh appointment or there's an interim scenario where he goes on some sort of lengthy leave and there's an interim scenario. I don't think he's going to resign. I don't think the FAW can afford to sack him. So I think the third permutation is is the one that's the most viable. I'm not saying it's the right solution. Yeah. I just think it's the most viable solution at the minute. I mean, I, I guess in that sense, I, I, I do agree with you in that sense, it's probably the most viable. I mean... <laughs> What it's just, and I know this is a ridiculous thing to say, but you never know what happens if we win the Euros and Giggs has nothing to do with it, and then and then everything goes away and he's innocent and and everything else. You can't you can't come back in if Page has won us the Euros, or maybe winning the Euros is ridiculous. But you know, let's say Page takes over short term and we get to the semi final again. What you know? What? How? Why does he come back into that? Then I I don't know. It's just such a mess, and I'm. The more I think about it, never mind talk about it, the more I think about it, the more it really annoys, not even annoys me, like genuinely upsets me because like for so many people, you and I included, Welsh football is a massive part of their life and I think that it's so unfair, without wish to sound like a stroppy teenager, that this circumstance is, is being taken away from us and that sounds that's a dick thing to say because I, there's real life problems involved here being much much bigger than football and I totally understand that but I also think that that's because of one person and there's you know hundreds and thousands of us who are relying on this circumstance and I just I just feel like for me this has to be concluded before the Euros one way or the other Again, I don't think we're disagreeing. Yeah. I think it's how we get there that we're disagreeing on. <laughs> it's it's clear it's clearly the situation is untenable at the minute. We can't we can't keep limping from waiting for news on on the bail situation, waiting for news on the CPS situation, waiting for news on his legal situation, whilst we've got key qualifying games. Yeah coming up and key and obviously the tournament coming up that's just it the two things are just polar into in terms of how one inhibits the other yeah, yeah. and i think i think what we're looking for as fans is a stability in what's happening and and a and a mechanism by which the coaching team can prepare for the March games and prepare for the June games. Now, I don't doubt that that's happening. I don't doubt that there's a whole load of backroom stuff going on at, at the minute, making sure that we're ready for the March games and, and looking further forward to, to the Euros. But the, as you say, the uncertainty and the instability cannot help 
hope and um by nature as fans we want everything to be in place that's controllable to enable the best advantages to what happens on the field and this feels i know it's it's not controllable in the sense that it all depends what's happening with the cps but it it is controllable in the sense of who's sitting in the manager's chair yeah and I, and i think so that's what i think we're looking for as fans is a controlled stable predictable situation for the squad to be immersed in that's what we're asking for yeah i i agree on that one and you know this is obviously the the shortest question and the longest answer i <laughs> I, I don't want to dwell on it too much because i know we did mention it uh last week i think or two, or two weeks ago so i don't want to dwell on it too much more but I, I do think we should have a quick mention of the Jonathan Ford situation. He's been he's been given a vote of no confidence. I, obviously, that massively doesn't help help the situation. You know, if we then have to look for a new CEO as all of this is going on as well, I think that drags the whole situation along. I you know I obviously I haven't got any answers for you. It seems like the the no vote of no confidence emerged from the how he handled the covid situation in terms of return to football schedules for for different uh, for different areas and i think that uh, that appears to be what the issue is i mean it's with i think i feel like things have turned very quickly on their heads and and kind of got messy very quickly haven't they yeah i mean i think i think that there was more to this no confidence vote than than just the covid situation oh, yeah, i mean i, I think, think so. a, a, a no confidence vote of I mean, obviously, all of this is unofficial. It's just what sources are saying. But it was it was twenty six to five. I mean, that's a pretty decisive no confidence vote. Yeah. Um, I do think this situation with Angela Van der Boga, the whole appointment or not appointment of her as part of the FAW team. I mean, she she's got she's clearly got a background that is questionable at the very least um the the appointment if it's happened has never actually been announced to me there's a whole load of questions there about executive responsibility and appropriateness and just appointing people at a time when you've got other people laid off or furloughed or you know just clubs that are struggling i mean there's i can understand i can see how the a club who is really teetering on the edge and is is getting a tiny proportion of that lottery money. And then the executive at the FAW appears to be making these kind of unilateral appointments. We don't know enough about that to know what's actually happened, but I can see how that's left the people on the executive board with enough questions to say, what's going on here we're not confident in the decision making and and yes i think there's a there's a there's a way it can be kind of framed as you know the blazers attacking the a successful ceo and that sort of thing but i i can see why there's enough questions for them to raise it in a a confidence vote no i agree i to be honest i don't actually have anything to add on what you've said there you've you've, you've said everything i was uh, i wanted to and it's Again, I'll just go back to what I said a second ago. It is just a mess. And, and again, I, I, f- I feel like whatever the path, path out of this situation is, it needs to be found and walked on fairly quickly because otherwise I think we are in genuine danger of going into these qualifiers for one but also the Euros for two in 
in genuine disarray and I think that that you know off the field at least uh, needs to be resolved you know as a, as a matter of urgency really um uh, we have had a question from Alfie Wilson, who has asked, if Giggs goes before the March fixtures, would you want Page to replace him for the Euros or someone else? Coleman was his suggestion. Just to make this as quick as possible, given we've just waffled for ages and I had a little tantrum. Um, I think long term, I don't think Page should replace him. I don't think he's got enough experience. Short term, I think if Coleman wanted to take us to the Euros, I'd be okay with that. Equally, if Page wanted to take us to the Euros, I'd be okay with that. I just think long term is a no for me on Page, and long term is a no for me on Coleman as well. Um, I don't think it would, you could dismiss Page on lack of experience because we'd have made that argument about gigs, and we have to admit in the end it kind of seemed to be turning out okay on the pitch. Um, I think I think my concern is some stability. Whether and at the moment, having Paige take the role for March and June seems the most stable scenario. I can see the plus in seeing if Chris Coleman would be be interested in you know kind of a six month something to you know to help. Um, the irony is he's perhaps one of the few people that might consider that it might, you know, it might actually be a plus for him to do three or four months with Wales, get himself kind of back in the managerial appointment uh, tra- on that trail again yeah, with, yeah. with, you know, with some positive results with the national team that, you know, that might actually be a good thing for his CV. So he may be more open to that than, than, there might be the norm of, of approaching somebody. Um, like I said before, I, I don't personally have a problem with it, be, with it being Paige right now. I think there's some merit in, we've got, the whole process is rocking the boat. Let's not rock the boat any more than we have to. Yeah, I guess that there's definitely, you know, there's definitely truth in that. The reason I say no for that, the experience, I think Giggs didn't have experience either, but he had some at the top level with Man United. He he also brought a lot of other stuff to the role, which we're, you know, now reaping the rewards for, of course. But I think, like, who he was balanced his lack of experience out a little bit in the FAW's eyes, at least. And that made us more of a presence on the world stage because of who he was. So I, 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 I do think that, those things are then not there with Paige, so that that's why the experience thing is not just a, is not it's not as black and white as that, I guess. But yeah, anyway, um, we have had a question from Paul O'Brien who has said the women's game um, for the new manager does gender or nationality matter? Do we think the second part of his question is? Does the mess at the FAW at the moment, coupled with the COVID break in terms of the you know the women haven't played for a while? plus the loss of a manager and the fact that they're not going to play again for a while, kind of leave, leave for a loss of momentum for the women's side. I mean, realistically, the women aren't going to play a meaningful game for about a year in total, which, you know, in the nicest possible way for some of them, a, a, a year's a long time. Yeah, I mean, to, to look at the first part, I haven't, I haven't got the strong feelings about gender or nationality. My preference would be, a female Welsh lady, because I think it it 
course, it's a female Welsh lady. <laughs> I, I would prefer a female. No, we'll keep that in. I, <laughs> I would prefer a female Welsh man myself, but you know, each to her own. That's a different podcast, I'd imagine. Anyway, sorry, go on. Yeah, so my preference would be for a Welsh lady um, because I think it says something about where the organisation is, where the trajectory is. Um, but clearly, the most important thing is to find the right person for the job. Um, so again, I'm not, I'm not wholly concerned about, about that aspect of things, more concerned about it's the right person. Um, I do think the momentum issue is, is, is interesting. I think, I think the, the, the saving grace is that all of the other international women's teams will be in the same position. Um, the FAW is doing what it can with the squad training week it had um, in mid-February. I think they're going to be doing something similar in April. So I think they're doing what they can to keep some momentum and and keep a sort of calendar, um, even though it doesn't actually exist in reality right now. Yeah, I I think... It's an interesting one. I, for the for the gender or nationality, like you said, I would much prefer it to be a Welsh woman. I think it's important, to be honest, that it is a woman, even if they're not Welsh. I think for the progression of the Welsh national game, I think it's important f- for young women, young girls to, to know again, like we've talked about, that there is a pathway to the top there. And, and I think it's important that they uh, keep that momentum uh, whether they're Welsh or not, I, like again, like you said, I'd prefer that, but I'm, I'm less concerned about that. I would rather the best person for the job, like you say. And if that turns out to be a German man and that gets us to the Euros or the World Cup, then so be it. But I think in terms of what I would like, um, I think the I'd prefer it to be a, to, to be a Welsh Welsh woman. Um, I, I think the one more thing on that is, I think whoever comes in, there's no point having a Welsh woman if they come in and don't value the the principles of the FAW, the way that we're trying to play, the 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 desire to take uh, the the Welsh women's game to every every town and village, to, so to speak. I think that the values are, are much more important to me than than where they're from. Although, as I do, as I say, I do think it's important that it's a woman. Um, the COVID break, I think, actually might be a good thing because I think there's a lot of pressure on that women's team. I think, and I think there's a lot of when it comes around spotlight and there's it's very intense I think and I think the attention that is put on them and the players and like especially in the last campaign was so much death or glory sort of thing like this needs to happen we need that to happen we need them to win those to lose you need to do this it was I think it was a lot and I think having the break will allow people to kind of recover you know from injury a little bit perhaps like Megan Wynn, for example, it's allowed Helen Ward to, to get a new club temporarily, for example. Um, obviously, Jess Fishlock has, has had a great opportunity to play for Reading and get herself back fit after her knee injury. Angara James is moving to America. Like a lot of stuff has happened. And I think having a, that little break from the, the pressure cooker, if you like, of, of Welsh football, I think may actually be a good thing for us, even if obviously it may have lost the players a year in terms of kind of competitive fixtures so in in that context the momentum in terms of the supporters and stuff I can see that that is an issue um and I think that's why the camp last week was pretty important but I think that in terms of from the playing perspective I don't think the 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 break is a bad thing I, I personally think it might actually turn out to be a good thing yeah and I'd not thought of it as in terms of an ease on the pressure I think I think that might have merit actually 
Well, there you go. Look at you telling me I'm doing something well. This, this is wonders we'll ever see. Um, this might be the hardest question in terms of giving a rational uh, and logical answer. Uh, we have been asked by Alid Roberts, what do you think the likelihood is that all four Welsh sides in the English leagues get promoted? Swansea, Cardiff, Newport and Wrexham. Um, I think if it's okay with you, we'll we'll go through this a bit at a time and kind of argue the toss and then see what we what falls out at the other end uh, great great podcasting as ever um let's start with cardiff and swansea because they're in a relatively similar situations in terms of the division and, and what they need to do to get out of it um i'm going to start with swansea ruth i think swansea will i think if they do it they'll have to do it through the players i think norwich and brentford will go up automatically they have got better experience of the situation i think they have a bigger squad um, so I think Swansea will go up. I think if you were looking at the four of them and you were betting on one of the four, they're the, they're the team that you would bet on at the minute. I mean, part of that is just where they are in relative, um, uh, relative play, relatively placed in their league. Uh, but I think they they're the most complete team of of the four in terms of what you need, what you need to be a success in their respective leagues. Um, I agree. I think it's more likely to be through a playoff. Um, so I, I think those top two are start, there's starting to be a little bit of a gap, isn't there in the, yeah. in the, the top two in the championship. So I think they're probably looking at a playoff place. And then unfortunately playoffs can inevitably can swing in either direction and, and, you know, strange things happen. Uh, but I agree. I think I think that's the most likely route for them. I agree. I, I think the you know the blip in form at the moment. I think it just is that. I think it is a blip. I think they will kind of come good with that. I think Brentford and Norwich themselves had a blip um, not too long ago. So I, I'm not too concerned for the Swans. Um, you talk about the playoffs and a betting and and having a bet there. I I think Cardiff will get into the playoffs, but I and, and I think they will quite probably maybe end up losing two Swansea in the playoffs one way or the other. Um, I think Cardiff have got great momentum. I think the the biggest thing for me is the style of play. I think Swansea have enough about them to counter Cardiff's style of play. I think you can only be... Swansea's play is based a lot on what they can do with the ball and doing it quickly and kind of, yes, they want to keep possession, but it's not the be-all and end-all to them. I think they actually don't mind other teams having a bit more possession of them and, and kind of counter-attacking and, and utilising the assets they have. Cardiff don't want that. Cardiff want it to be a battle. Cardiff don't want the ball at all, really. Their, their possession stats have gone down again under Mick McCarthy, I, I think I read. So, you know, I think that, that style of play will get them out of the hole they're in, but I don't think it will get them out of the division. I think if it came down to a Swansea Cardiff playoff game, be it a final or two leg semis, I would back Swansea. So for that reason, I think Cardiff will get to the playoffs but not go up. I mean, based on their current form, they sh- they if they can sustain this, then they should have a playoff place. Um, and I think actually Cardiff may benefit from another good run this year and and then actually be able to go forward on the front foot next year. I think it was disappointing how they um, 
had some momentum at the end of last season, and I know the end of last season was such a mess that it's difficult to it's difficult to kind of infer forward. But the contrast at the start of well, not necessarily the start, but the, the contrast sort of through the autumn of this season um, was the concern because they had a good situation to build on and they didn't. And and so I think from a Cardiff point of view, I think a good a good end of the season with a playoff place and then actually start next season on the front foot might not be the worst of scenarios, actually. Uh, yeah, I can see that, and I think it's important. I don't, that's one of our next questions. Actually, we'll we'll come on to that. But I, I think it's important that they kind of stabilise a little bit because it has been, you know, a tumultuous year to an extent. So I think that wouldn't, like you say, wouldn't be the worst outcome for them. I can understand Cardiff fans probably want want more than that, but I, I think in the short term, um, that would be the best bet. Um, Newport, I bloody love Newport. They are my favourite of the of, of of the four clubs that we try to to relatively speaking cover. Um, I'm sure someone will give me some some abuse for that, but I, I, I'm so I'm so keen for them to do it. I'm so I I think Mike Flynn has done a great job. I think it, and in difficult circumstances, managing things financially, the pitch is basically you know a field um, with some football posts at the end of it. I, you know. I just can't see it. I think I'm desperate for them to do it, but but their the home form is just being killed by the pitch, and as a consequence, is sapping their form away from home. From from what I've seen, they can't play the way they want to, and it's causing a mess because they can't. They've got players in to play a certain way, or they've been coached to play a certain way, and then they get on the pitch and they can't do it. Then that's not their fault. So then you're trying to change the style of play. Well, they're not. That's you haven't necessarily got the players to do that. I think, you know, you look at the games, I think my ultimate decision on this was based on, you look at the games that they've had that they should have won of late. And yes, okay, they beat Walsall recently, but like Stevenage on the weekend, that's a team they've got to be beating, draw nil-nil. They can't beat the teams below them, really. Or, uh, you know, they've got Tranmere on Tuesday night, a massive, massive game for them, Tranmere a couple of places above them. Win, and yeah, maybe I'd, I'd, I'd change my mind, but the way things are at the moment I just and it you know it, I'm gutted to say it but I just don't see it happening I'm like I'm not even I'm not even sure they'll end up maintaining the playoffs if if I'm if I'm being 100% honest yeah I mean I think playoff place is about the best they can hope at the minute their form is very kind of mid-table you know a draw then a win then a loss then a draw then a win then a loss kind of kind of form yeah. they're very hit and miss um I mean, somehow they've stayed in sixth. Again, it's I think it's a, that's a reflection of these the, the weird seasons yeah. that, and it's a that everybody's division, having. Um, but I think I think a playoff place is is what they're aiming for at the minute, isn't it? Yeah, I agree, and I think you know, looking at the playoff places and what people are aiming for, Wrexham are uh, are on our list here. Wrexham are the one I kind of found it hardest to make a decision on because it's just such a difficult situation like the 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 division is so tight they there's 12 points between second and 12th place if so many people have got games in hand on other people and it's, it's a mess to try and work out who's actually in a better position than someone else every now and then they seem to pull out a great result on the on the weekend Wilston they beat them 4-1 they scored twice after going down to 10 men you know great win but you see people kind of on on social media. Obviously, I didn't watch the game. I, I've seen highlights, but 
complaining about the style of play and you know they seem to kind of be getting a, a, a bit of luck at times I, I just can't decide you know I, I think my concern is that they can easily have a dip in form and that dip in form can help them slip down the, the table because it's so tight I really want them to get in the playoffs I'm just uh, I, I, I really don't know which is not particularly helpful um, but I can't answer the question <laughs> I'm going to say no I don't think they'll get in the playoffs sorry I think given the playoff goes down to seventh I think I, I might go on the on the side of they'll get a playoff place just because frankly there's not really much to bet base a decision on either way that league is so close you've got some teams threatening to pull out I know the chairman of Dover was threatening yeah, to um close the football club for the season you know there's all sorts of uncertainties in in that league at the minute and it genuinely could could tip either way so I think right at the minute I'm kind of I, I suppose the hopeful part of me is hoping they'll get a playoff place I think the chances of them having a consistent enough to be consistent enough through a series of playoff games that's the bit I think where they'll they'll fall down and hence won't grab the spot so you don't think they'll go up, but you do think they'll make playoffs? Yeah, I, I just, I think, I'm, I'm perhaps hoping they'll make the playoffs <laughs> might be a better way of putting it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, like I say, I hope they do as well. I just, I think their inconsistency, I, I guess, is, is is the thing, like, like you said, if they do actually get there, I don't think they're consistent enough to kind of put the results together. And, mm-hmm. and, and to be honest, for what it's worth, and again, from people I've spoken to, things I've seen, I think that, it would actually not be the obviously you want to get out of the division as quick as you can of course you do that's you know that's a given and if they can do it then that's fantastic but i think it it might be worth having a you know if they get promoted a lot of fans aren't happy with the manager if they get promoted to then keep the manager you know it it, 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 it it's a very difficult situation i'm not sure it might be kind of long term stability a better idea for them to have a summer where all of the people who are now on board can kind of come together they make some kind of solid decisions give out some you know slightly longer term contracts which they are capable of doing because of their financial situation a few more things like that that will tie things down longer term and, I th- and that might help them longer term as well um so you know again i'm sure that's not what rex and fans want to hear but i think that it might be in the best interest of the club long term to to kind of have a bit of time to rebuild over the summer don't don't disagree um i think the the timeline, the effect that the timeline has had of the takeover now and the and the COVID complications, I, I do think it's sort of a regroup in the summer might not necessarily be a bad yeah. thing, as you say. Um, the final question, listener, you'll be delighted to know, um, is about Cardiff City and Mick McCarthy. Um, Levi Griffiths asks us, lots of Cardiff fans were concerned with uh, McCarthy's appointment. There was also concerns that if he did well, he would get a longer contract. He's done brilliantly. So at this point, do Cardiff City have to offer him a longer contract? If so, does this paper over the long-term issues? Um, I, I think it's an interesting question. I can I can see how the Cardiff fans might be jumpy about jumping in and signing an, you know another long longer-term contract with a manager. They've you know they've had a run of of issues around around that. Um, but I would be interested in in hearing from from Cardiff fans what what cracks they feel 
are a manager's responsibility that McCarthy isn't trying to address. So if, you know, there's been concerns about leaning on the academy and, and giving an avenue for the younger players and give, you know, and providing a, a track for the younger players. And he seems to be working on, on that. The accountability of the players, um, you know, expecting them to be engaged in training sessions and then deliver on a Saturday, he's addressed that. He's not afraid of trying things. Um, they, they certainly seem to be operating more as a squad. Um, so I think all of those things are step forward. So, so I would be interested in hearing what cracks they feel a manager should be addressing, as I said, that McCarthy isn't. I can understand that there's been a kind of disengagement between the, the owners and the fans. I think, you know, I think there's a track record there of a kind of a, a disregard of the fan base. Although, in fairness, I think the, the club are working on it. So I, I appreciate there might be bigger picture things there that are cracks that the fans don't feel are progressing. But at, um, at a manager-head coach kind of level... I, th I think they're in a good place, ironically. I mean, it's an interesting one because I've got to be honest, I, I, and I said this when we talked about this at the time, this was my fear at the time is what if he does well short term? You then kind of have to give him a contract and then does this make for a more kind of difficult or more complicated situation? Um, I mean, for, for, for a kickoff, I have to say that I have to eat humble pie a little bit here because I did say I thought he was going to be useless. Um so I, I apologise again, Mick, if you're listening, mate. Uh, I do I do apologise. Um, the issue I raised at the time, like I said, was that the, this kind of kicks the can down the road a little bit with the bigger issues. And you're right, the bigger issues, a lot of them anyway, are, are about the academy, but also things like, you know, that aren't in his control, such as, you know, they don't own their own training ground sort of thing. Um, I think the, the thing for me is, I think they, what Cardiff fans want from what I understand, is they want someone to come in who is, as a head coach, manager, whatever you want to call them, is going to have a vision for the football club moving forward. And I think they want to be able to incorporate the vision for the football club moving forward with the manager, with the ownership team. And I, I, don't, I don't think anyone is saying that is easy. But I think as a consequence of that, you need to have someone who has got um, a set plan about how they want to play, a set plan about what they want the future to look like. And I feel like a lot of the time, if you get promoted, you just think, well, sod that. We don't need any of that now because we're, we're doing all right anyway. I think, you know, the style of play is something that needs to be spread throughout the football club. I don't think that's happening because there isn't a style of play. It's kind of lurching from one manager to the next. And I think that in itself is one of the big reasons why the academy players aren't coming through is because ultimately Cardiff's football style, and again, this, I'm not being critical, is, you know the big lads <laughs> have a bit of a scrap and hope that they're a, a more physically demanding team and they take the chances when they get them. I, I think that's a f relatively fair, if slightly flippant assessment. So you, you, there isn't a path through for the academy lads because if you're 17 and you've got really good feet, but you're five foot 10 and you know, you'd blow over in a stiff breeze, then you're not going to get a chance in that style of play, are you? So I think if their style of play is going to be long-term, lump it to the big lad and hope that we pick up the scraps around it then then you need to plan for that long term which is not particularly sustainable I don't think but that's what you need to plan for you need to get players through the academy who can fit that style and then with that you can start to implement other things like building your own training ground because we know we need this facility and that facility 
at the minute, this is just, oh, hang on, this bloke might get us promoted. And I think as a consequence of that, all the other stuff, like I said, gets kicked down the road a little bit. And in my opinion, I think that's why Cardiff are, Cardiff fans are more concerned about what they want as the longer term issues. Because at the moment, they've kind of struck gold with him. And he probably does, you'd have to argue, he probably does deserve the longer term deal on, on results because it's been a massive turnaround. But I, I, I still maintain that I don't think it solves the bigger picture issues. I think if the desire is to identify a style of play and build a you know a generational flow of players around a style of play then Mick McCarthy is far too pragmatic a manager for that I think he is the sort of manager that looks at what he's got and will build a style of play for a game based on what he's got agreed and I don't think that's a bad approach actually necessarily yeah, 100%. but it's but it's not building a style of play across the next 10 years um so that if that's what the fans are looking for then i can understand how he doesn't fit that scenario if you are of the if you are in the more pragmatic camp then he may be a very good solution yeah, I mean, I, you know, and I could be completely wrong. This is just people I've spoken to I know are Cardiff fans. So, I mean, if I'm wrong, please do, in this instance, feel free to tweet me and abuse me. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I, it is a difficult one. Like I say, I, I'm happy to eat humble pie about it because I'm glad Cardiff are doing well. But, um, yeah, I don't know I don't know what problems this solves in, in, in the bigger picture. And I guess that's probably not for us to, 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 to make a decision on as, uh, as non-Cardiff fans. Um, Believe it or not, Ruth, we have come to the end of uh, of the questions we uh, we've been asked uh, in and around this podcast. So um, you're free to get on with the rest of your day, which is great. I can go and have my tea. It's St David's Day today, so I don't know when this is going. I think hopefully this will go out on Wednesday. So happy St David's Day, everybody! I'm, uh, my wife has made cowl for tea, which I'm very excited about. You've had Joy's cowl before, in fact, so you uh, you know how good it is. So I'm obviously very excited for me dinner. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds a good option. Maybe I might get some Welsh cakes made today. <laughs> no, that's true. I'm actually a bit disappointed she hasn't made any Welsh cakes. I will, uh, I'll get on to her about that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I hope she has. I've actually said that quieter there, so I hope she didn't hear. Um, anyway, um, we have a lot of good stuff coming up at the moment on Coleman Had a Dream. We've obviously got the podcast. We're trying to keep going every week at the moment. Um, we've got new articles, about two articles going up on ColemanHadADream.com uh, each week from club stuff to international stuff so please keep an eye out for that we are also very excited to bring you something uh, in the near future around the the international windows something new from us something a little bit different so again please keep your eye out for that um thank you very much for listening thank you for your time ruth that was good we usual uh, usual didn't solve many problems but had fun discussing them <laughs> exactly <laughs> concise as ever um okay well thank you very much for your considerable time today ladies and gentlemen thank you for your time ruth and we will hopefully speak to you next week goodbye bye bye